Well, in the busyness of Christmas, it is very easy to miss Christmas. Sadly, many people are relieved when it is over. They are not energized at all. In fact, just the opposite. They are depleted. The title of our message today is, Help, I Missed Christmas Again. But when I say Christmas, I don't really mean the holiday. I mean we missed the Christ of Christmas. And to be honest, the title of this message probably should be Losing Jesus and Getting Him Back. In many of your Bibles, the heading before Luke chapter 2, verse 41 says, The boy Jesus amazes the scholars. I think that's wrong. I think that's actually terribly wrong. But again, if I'm going to be honest with you, today I'm going to do something that I normally don't do. I'm going to briefly pass over the main point and talk about some other things. Today's message is more probably similar to something like I would do in one of my own personal devotions. It's more about personal application. It's more about digging deep into our hearts and our minds and our souls. Today we're going to talk about people. Maybe those people include us who found Jesus Christ, or you might say more accurately, were found by him, but they found Jesus, but somehow they've lost him. When I became a Christian back in 1988, it was on a Thursday, and it was 10 days before Easter. And a week later, so Thursday before Easter, I'm talking to a Christian brother, somebody who had told me about Jesus, and he had been a Christian much, much longer than me, and in my zeal anticipating Good Friday and Easter services, of which I never wanted to be a part of, but all of a sudden now I desperately wanted to be a part of, I said to him, I am so excited for this weekend. I mean, man, Good Friday and Easter, wow, what a big weekend. It was probably now the equivalent of what Super Bowl weekend was for me before. And he looked at me like I had three heads. And now, almost 33 years later, I realized what had happened. It was my first taste of it, and certainly not my last taste of it. There's been many since then. Realizing that at one point in many people's lives, many were excited about knowing Jesus, but that excitement faded, and somehow they lost the joy and excitement of Jesus. What's really strange to me and scary to me is that it can happen to anyone, and it can happen anywhere. Now, you say, what in the world does the passage you just read have to do with what you just said? Well, let's look at it. 
verse 41. His, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem. So they went to the holy city, the place where the temple was, every year at the feast of the Passover. So it's a holiday celebration remembering when God freed his people from Egypt. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, let's not forget, he's 12 in this passage. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feasts. When they had finished the days, as they returned, so they're on their way home, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. So they left, Mary and Joseph left, but Jesus himself stayed behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, verse 44. But supposing him to have been in the company, or some of your versions say the traveling party, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, what happened? They lost Jesus. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So they go back to Jerusalem. They don't know that Jesus is in the temple. So here, Mary and Joseph are doing the right thing. They're they're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the temple. They're going to the holy city as God had commanded them to celebrate the feast. Now, there were three big feasts in Judaism, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And originally, the men, not the women, were commanded to come to Jerusalem for all three. But due to war... The Jews were dispersed throughout, and many lived very, very far away. So it was generally accepted that you would attend one of the three feasts, with Passover being the most common. But remember, the women were not required to attend. It was optional. But Mary was a devoted follower of Yahweh. And she was willing to make the three- or four-day walk, a difficult walk, to Jerusalem, not like their weekly walk, to the synagogue with Jesus. Not only is it a long journey, but it is a seven-day feast, time set aside to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, to celebrate the Lord. Now, some people left after two days, but it doesn't seem like Mary and Joseph did. They were very devoted in their faith, and they were very devoted in their children's faith, evidenced by bringing Jesus with them. To them, it seems like devotion to the Lord was a non-negotiable. Busyness was not going to stop their devotion. Obstacles that they faced, a long trip or the lots of preparation, was not going to stop their devotion. Obviously, it would cost them money. Maybe they saved up all year for it. It would cost Joseph, who had a carpenter shop, presumably. He was a carpenter. A loss of work and income. But it didn't seem to matter to them. To be honest, when you think about Mary and Joseph, 
It's hard to imagine any other human being loving Jesus more than they did. I mean, he was the miracle child. He was the perfect son. He never went through the terrible twos or anything like that. He was to be the Savior. You know, you imagine certain things you're going to want to do when you get to heaven. I'm going to want to say to Joseph, what was it like working with that boy in the carpenter shop? Now, some people think they may have been uh, stonemasons. That's okay. What was it like working with him? Yet, on this occasion, they lost Jesus. Now, a lot of scholars tell us that what would happen would be the men and the women, they would have these big families from a town, and, and these, the men and the women would go separately on their way. Typically, the children would be with the, uh, you know, with the women. But now, probably Mary would assume that, that Jesus was with Joseph. Joseph would assume he was with Mary. Mary thinking, well, he's a, he's a man now. He's 12. And so he's going to be with Joseph. And so they're walking home. And so they realize that Jesus isn't with them. We notice where they lost Jesus. They lost Jesus in Jerusalem. As we'll see, he was in the temple. We might say he was in church. While they were doing, they lost Jesus while they were doing spiritual things. Think about it. We can be so absorbed in what we think church is or what we think church is supposed to be that we actually lose Jesus, the Savior of the church. The problem is not the church. Don't go blaming the church. The problem is an identity issue. It's easy to lose Jesus if church or your service to God is your identity instead of Jesus. Statistically speaking, this particular year, which we have just lived, particularly since March until now, has revealed a lot about people's faith in Christ. And I hate to say it, the news is not very good. The dropout rate is quite large. People are just not in the groove of things, if you will. They, they don't seem to have a good, solid identity in Jesus. And I think now more than ever, as this year ends, and as we move into the new year, this is a great time to take a personal inventory of our faith. Now, church attendance is very important, but not just coming and sitting in a building and taking up a seat. I did that for a lot of years in my life. No, being regularly engaged in our church attendance is commanded by God, and in fact, it says a lot about our love for Jesus. However, unless the church really preaches Jesus, 
instead of preaching what people want to hear, much of the church will lose Jesus. Why? Because an identity in Jesus will not be formed in them. It will be an identity in a myriad of other things. This is why we must actually teach the Bible, not use the Bible in our teachings. I guess my point is this. If Mary and Joseph could lose Jesus in the temple, we can lose Jesus anywhere. Maybe this year you've lost Jesus by hanging out in the bar or the liquor store. Maybe you've become over-addicted to social media, and that's where you're spending a lot of your time. You can even lose Jesus if you come to church, but you're not engaged. You see, it's very easy for all of us to let life and laziness, deadly combo, life and laziness, to extinguish our fire for Jesus Christ, even if we're very busy for him. When the fire goes out, no matter what, whether you're doing stuff for Jesus, attending church, or you've just forgotten them altogether, when the fire for him goes out, it's easy to fall away. It's easy to think that it wasn't real. Or for most people, it's easy to rationalize all of our excuses for it. A verse we come back to over and over again, Hebrews 2.1 says this, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed. Another version says, We must pay much closer attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Another version says, So that we will not drift away. Clearly, the writer to Hebrews is telling us this, that drifting is very common. And you just don't know when it's happening. My son Ryan and I, when he was much, much younger, the two of us went away for a weekend down to uh, Childwood. Sorry, I mean Wildwood. <laughs> we were down in Wildwood, uh, where I lived the first summer I got after, uh, after college. I was a lifeguard down there. And we were just uh, talking with one another. And next thing we know, we hear the whistle blowing. And we realize, we turn around and we go, oh my goodness, he's whistling for us. We had drifted so far away. Now, all of my kids went to swimming lessons. We have a, a swimming pool. I was a lifeguard, and the lifeguard came out, and so we started swimming towards him, and he was like, obviously, you guys can swim. I said, I'm so sorry. We, we just didn't realize how far we had drifted away, and he says, yeah, I know. It can easily happen, but thank goodness you knew how to get yourself back. So you might ask, okay, I understand how you drift away in the ocean, and I understand that you and your son were good swimmers, so you were able to swim back. But how does one drift away? How does one miss Christmas? How does one 
lose Jesus, and how do we go from drifting to coming back? Very, very good questions you ask. Let's go back to verse 44. Verse 44 says this, but supposing. Some versions say assuming or thinking. The idea is they were wrong. But supposing him, Jesus, to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. She thinks he's with Joseph. Joseph thinks he's with Mary and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're going throughout all the whole town. of, They're all there. The family's there and they're looking for Jesus and they can't find him. Loved ones, please listen very, very carefully. Very, very carefully. Especially if you consider me to be your pastor. It is so easy for religious people. It is so easy for Bible-believing Christians to think that Jesus is with us or we are with Jesus when we are not. Can I say that again? It's so important. It is so easy for all of us who might identify as followers of Jesus to think Jesus is with us or we are with Jesus when we are not. Even if you are very moral, and very religious, and you might even say you are very faithful in your religious practices, that is not the same as joyful fellowship with Jesus and his family and his people. Now, I will not judge Mary and Joseph, but I know for us, and I know for me, it's easy to assume things, and it's very easy to start to live on what I call Christian autopilot. You're not as bad as some of the other people you know, or so you think, and so you're living your Christian life on autopilot. But when we put the Christian life, our own personal Christian life, on cruise control, before we know it, we're starting to fall asleep at the wheel. We, we are starting to depart from the Scripture, and we're starting to trust in our own reasoning. We drift into other things that begin to make sense to us when we stop engaging in the Scriptures. Sadly, among Christians today, this is just an observation, I hear more political talk than anything else. Political talk is ruling the day, and here's the problem with that. Politics are important. Government's important. Don't get me wrong. But we're talking to other people about it, and we're coming off as angry, not joyful to a watching world.
People are watching Bible-believing Christians, and they're starting to say, that's a bunch of angry people because they're not getting their way politically. You see, when we depart from the Scriptures, it's so easy to get caught up in the wrong things, and that's what happens to many people at Christmas. We get so caught up in the stuff, in, in the pressure to, to buy gifts for people and to give gifts to people. We ourselves miss receiving the greatest gift of all, God's gift of His Son to us. So what do we do? Maybe you haven't been paying that much attention to me. Would you please pay attention now? What do we do? Verse 45 again. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Some of your versions say they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Okay, here it is. This is important. What did they do? This is key. This is so very important. If you feel like you've lost Jesus, they went back to the place where they lost Jesus. They didn't just wait for him to fall out of the sky. They didn't just wait for some feeling to come upon them. They went back to the place where they lost Jesus. When we've lost the presence of Jesus in our lives, we must go looking for him. And again, we start by going back to the place where we lost him. Maybe you used to read and study the Word of God regularly. Maybe you just couldn't get enough of it. You were growing. You were so excited about the things of God. But somehow, you began to drift. Somehow, that excitement began to die out. Maybe you even thought that, well, I know enough. I don't need to engage in the Scriptures as much or anymore. But now, deep down, loved ones, you know that you have lost Jesus. Friend, please go back to your Bible. Go back to your Bible. Seek a fresh word from God daily. Do what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. Exercise yourself towards godliness and stay at it. Stay at it. Stay at it. And you miss a day, tomorrow's another day. Stay at it. Maybe you lost Jesus and maybe it was praying. There was a time in your life when you were passionately seeking God, and that began to give way to boring prayers. And then that began to give away to non-existent prayers. 
you used to pray and maybe you'd be in this quiet place that you had set aside. It's a great idea to set aside a place to read your Bible and to pray. And you had set aside that place and you would swear that Jesus was sitting right there with you. You would swear it. But now it's just so dry. And you're wondering, where did Jesus go? Maybe even once in a while, you don't pray much anymore, but you're saying, Jesus, where did you go? Loved ones, go back to that place. Go back to the place of desperately seeking the presence of God, whether you experience it or not. Cry out to him. And say, Lord, I'm not going to come to you with a laundry list of things what I want. I'm going to come to you with one prayer and one prayer only. That I desire to experience you again deeply and passionately. Clearly, it seems for most or even all of people who fall away from following Jesus, and I realize the American church and the American Christian hates what I'm about to say, but it's a sin issue. It's hard to hear God or even talk to God or understand this book or, if you will, see the unseen in the book. Read between the lines in the book and find the truth of what God is saying to you. That's all very hard when you know there is an 800-pound elephant in the room. When you know there's an 800-pound elephant in your heart. When you sit down to pray and God says, isn't there something else we need to talk about first? You... you you know, you, you who are married, you know that, that sometimes there's just there's things in your marriage and they need to be sorted out before you can go on with life the way it was before. Maybe you know that Jesus has called you to choose between him and that sin. But because you have become so disconnected from him, the sin proved too powerful for you. And you're no longer relying on the power of God. Today, Jesus calls you to go back and repent. To turn back to God. Confess your sin to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess, He is faithful and just to forgive you from all your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will do it and ask him for his help to set you on the right path again. Ask him to fill you with his love so you are motivated by grace to change. You are motivated by his love to change. Seek his help in the word of God. Someone, Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide God's word in your heart so when the time for sin comes, you have power in you to say no. The great old-time writer John Bunyan said this, 
Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. How true. Verse 46, now so it was that after three days, so you say three days what? Well, one day they were walking home. One day they had to walk back to Jerusalem. We don't know how much of the third day they spent, but they would count one part of the day as the whole. We don't know how much of the day they were, the third day they were looking for Jesus. It says they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Remember, he's 12. Verse 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. This, friends, is a great experience of Christ to hear him, not just with your ears, but with your mind and with your heart and with your soul. And you're astonished at what you're hearing. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the great Welsh preacher, used to say, the most exciting part for him when he was preaching was not watching how many people were taking notes, but was when they would put the pens down and they would all look up because he knew that's when the Holy Spirit and not Martin Lloyd-Jones was speaking. I have had the experience, I wish I would see it more often, where I could feel the congregation, or I could see the congregation as something would just go forth from the word of God, and the people would just go, the whole congregation would just shift, because God had spoken. Now, I realize in this text, I am doing what's called spiritualizing, something I normally don't do, and I'm, and I'm hypercritical of guys who spiritualize all the time, but I'm also oversimplifying something I want to do all the time, and here is how simple it really gets, and I wonder if Mary and Joseph were running through the town, and, and they're like, what are you doing? I thought you left. And they're like, we're looking for our boy. And somebody said to him, that boy of yours? Did you ever think of looking for, the, for him in the temple? Friend, let me ask you, did you ever think of looking for Jesus in church? And being like 12-year-old Jesus, totally teachable. He's asking them questions. He's interacting with them. And then being amazed at what Jesus says. Maybe there was a time in your life when you were attending church more regularly. I mean, you would hate the idea of missing a Sunday. You would tell your family, I'll go to that party, but I'm going late. You wouldn't care if you missed the first half of the football game. You wouldn't care about any of that stuff. You wouldn't say, it's my only day to sleep in. You would say, that's my day to go to the house of the Lord. And maybe you were coming every Sunday. Maybe you were even coming on Wednesdays to hear the word of God. Maybe you were carrying your own Bible into church. You weren't like, well, they put the verses up on the screen anyway. You couldn't wait to open God's word with God's people. You were shaking at the fact that when God's word was open among God's people, that God was going to speak. 
And you had your own Bible because you wanted to underline words. You wanted to write notes in the margin. You wanted to remember certain things for when you read that passage on your own that would help you understand it better. You were joyfully serving God. Not because you had to, but because you got to. And maybe you were engaged in a community group. And you couldn't wait to share the things that God was showing you. And you couldn't wait to hear from others what God was showing them. And here, I will judge Mary and Joseph. They were persistently seeking Jesus. And they would not give up until they found him. <laughs> it's amazing when you think he's only 12. This is just a side note, and you may not get us and who us is. You'll understand the second. But this is why so many of us love kids' ministry. This is why so many of us love youth ministry. Because Jesus is asking questions and they are amazed in kids' ministry and in youth ministry. Let me tell you something, man. The questions are so good. The kids' questions are so good. The kids are so raw and so honest. And to be honest, sometimes you throw out a question and their jaw-dropping answers seem to be coming out of the mouth of God himself. I can't tell you how many times I've had a teenager say something about God, and I've been like, I've shifted. Because I realized there is so much more understanding there than I think. Another great reason why we want to pour into our young people. Verse 48 so when they, Mary and Joseph, saw him, they were amazed, some versions say astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Another version said, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know? Stop. This is the point of this passage. It's not that they lost Jesus. It's not that they were amazed. The scholars were amazed. This is the point. Jesus says, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? She says, Joseph's your father. He says, No, God is my father. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, some people, some versions say about my father's house. Which is it? Both are true. It doesn't matter. Now, if you're a parent, you probably know the experience of losing and finding one of your children. It's panic. They're anxiously looking for him. You find the kid. And, you're, and then your emotions are split. You've gone from anxiety, I can't find the kid, and now they're split. They're split between half of this amazing sense of relief and this other half, I want to kill you. <laughs> I'm like, do you know what you did to us? She says it. Why have you done this to us? But here's the interesting thing. 
Jesus is not surprised that they came back for him. Jesus is surprised that they didn't know where to find him. These are the first recorded words of Jesus. Forget all the, st- the, 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 the books that were written hundreds of years later that have all these stories of young miracle Jesus wandering around town and wandering all throughout the world and stuff like that. The silly, silly stuff. Don't pay any attention to that stuff. This is the first recorded words of Jesus, and this is what theologians call a pronouncement account. That's what this is about, a pronouncement account. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is giving us a testimony of himself or his identity and his mission. You say, where is that? He says, I must be about my father's business. What is the testimony of himself? What is his identity? My father. My father. What is my, his mission? His business. My father's business. Or my father's house. I must be about the things of my father's house. And so Jesus challenges his parents, his earthly parents. He challenges everybody who's listening. He challenges you. He challenges me. Is God our Father? And have we been adopted into His family by putting our trust in the only way to be adopted into God's family, by putting our trust in Jesus? And having been adopted into His family, are we about His business? Are we about His mission? So what is our pronouncement? Is God our Father and are we about His business? No doubt, no doubt in my mind that Jesus loves Joseph. You can just imagine, again, meeting Joseph. Joseph, what was it like? Man, I love that kid. But man, did that kid love me. Gosh, he was so full of the love of God that he loved me so much. But Jesus knows who his real father is. And he knows the necessity of being connected to his father. It's like Jesus says to Mary and Joseph, I love you, but you know this. My father must be my first allegiance. Maybe, friend, maybe. You're a follower of Jesus, and you've forgotten that. You forgot your first love. You forgot who you are to be most aligned with and have allegiance to. But you see, Jesus is also teaching us here in this passage. Again, you've got to read in between the lines. He's, he's teaching us that allegiance calls for faithfulness, yes, but it also calls for patience. You say, where do you see that? You see, when we get into chapter 3, it's 17 years later. Jesus will continue to obey Mary and Joseph, and he will wait 18 years until he's about 30 for his ministry to begin. Just a thought. Do you, do I, do we 
Have we lost Jesus because we need to return to our patience with God? Do we need to exhibit faithfulness where we are instead of where we think we should be or where we want to be? You see, I know a lot of people that say, I want God's will for my life. That's the most important thing I want for my life. I want God's will for my life. But to say we want God's will is also to say that we want God's timing. And while God's will, we might like, or we might not, and once we get into it, we change our mind. But a lot of people don't like God's timing. We don't like the fact that he wants to set us to set our priorities right and then wait. And as you set your priorities, and as you wait, now remember, wait is not doing nothing. Wait is what you do while you're waiting for God's will to come to pass. Like Jesus, don't expect to be understood all the time. Even Mary said to Jesus, why have you done this to us? Verse 50 But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. What does that mean? Well, most people would say he obeyed them, and that would be correct. But I think in this passage, more accurately, he was about his father's business. And his father's business was to obey Mary and Joseph. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, there's a very good possibility that, that Luke, who was a careful historian, got the story from Mary or another reliable source who was close to Mary. Verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You know, Maybe we've lost Jesus because we hate to be told what to do by anyone. It said Jesus was subject to Mary and Joseph, a poor carpenter and his wife. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I'm God. What what do you think this is? No, he wasn't like that at all because his father's business was that was the way he was to lead his life. Maybe we've lost Jesus because we always have to have our own way. And if we don't get our way, that's it. We're done. We, ha- we even have our own brand of faith and practice. And if, and if people don't do what I like, then that's it. I'm out of here. You see, friends, most likely if that's the case, even God can't tell us what to do anymore. And we can easily get to that place where we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to do what anybody tells us to do. We're just, we want our way or that's it. And God is talking to us and he's not even getting through to us. But it says, but Mary, she kept all these things in her heart. She was watching Jesus When you read through the Gospels, let me ask you a question. How carefully are you watching Jesus? 
Mary was beginning to realize something very important. That her son had her family, but came to make a much larger family. His followers, the true people of God, God's family. And when we get to the book of Acts, we see that Mary has joined that family. Now, if you've been listening and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I don't really know what I've lost. But let me ask you something. Honestly, do you have a sense that something is missing in your life? Maybe you don't know that you've lost something, but you just think there's got to be more. There's got to be more than just getting up and going to work and coming home and just going to bed and waking up tomorrow and doing it again. You see, Jesus came for you. He came for me. He came for followers of Jesus. He came for you. You see, because ultimately for Jesus, his father's business was to bring people far from God to God. Not just close to God, but actually to God. To bring what we call salvation to people. To offer people the forgiveness of their sins against God and eternal life with God in heaven by putting our trust in Jesus and being adopted into the family of God. The true story of Christmas is very easily lost on all of the stuff that Jesus came to die on the cross for you. First, he needed to lead a perfect life. But then ultimately, he needed to die on the cross and rise from the dead for you so you would never be punished for your sins because Jesus was. And so you would never have to die because Jesus rose from the dead for you. The truth is, all of us need to come back to Jesus. All of us need to come to the foot of the cross. No matter whether you've believed for your whole life or today is the very first day that you're willing to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching a bunch of people that he wanted people to really be sold out to him as he was sold out to us. And, and a group of people left him. They said it was just too hard for them because they were thinking merely on a human plane. They didn't understand what it was like to be empowered by God to experience him, to live for him, and to know him. And so a bunch of people left, and it says in John 6, 67, then Jesus said to the 12, those are the 12 apostles, do you also want to go away? 
You notice Jesus is not like, oh, please stay, please stay. He doesn't say that to them at all. He goes, are you in it to win it? Or do you want to just lose me like a whole bunch of other people have? That's the easy way out. Verse 68 says, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've come to put our trust in you and to know that you are the Messiah, the very Son, the very nature of the living God himself. Today, Jesus invites you to his Father's business. Jesus invites you to come to the foot of the cross to put your trust in him so his Father will become your Father. And whether it's for the hundredth millionth time or for the first time, you can find Christmas because you can find Jesus. Well, let's pray.